Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Computomics podcast. Last week, we mentioned that we will be discussing the Pantograph project, which is our effort to make a contribution to the fight against COVID. And today, we are interviewing Josiah Seaman, who is an integral member of that project and a great collaborator. And he will walk us through the the focus of the project, the reasoning behind it, and how you can help. And if you are a computational biologist or a bioinformatician, or if you are a software developer and you want to put your skills to good use, this is your chance. He'll mention it again, but the link is graphgenome.org. And please join us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Josiah for being um, great to interview and such a pleasure to talk to. Now here's the episode. Hi, Josiah, and thanks for joining me today. It's going to be such a pleasure to introduce everyone to our Pantograph project. I know that you're an amazing collaborator of Computomics, and you are spearheading this campaign, and you are very passionate about this campaign and about ways that it can empower people to contribute to the fight against COVID. And um, I just want to go ahead and jump right in. Maybe you can tell everyone uh, what is the basis for the Pantograph project? What is its mission? And where are you going with it? Yeah, so I'm kind of a big picture person. So I think what I'll do is start with the biggest. Um, first of all, I would say genetic engineering and knowledge of genetics has immense potential. And though we've invested um, uh money into starting to develop the science. The science for the most part has not touched um, everyday citizens at all. Uh, you know, GMO is banned in most of Europe. Um, we, were, uh, we were working at Kew Gardens on ash dieback resistance to save the ash trees. And people were very hesitant to even change one gene to you know, stop the extinction of the most common hedgerow tree. Uh, so, so there's still a lot of resistance there. And I understand where that's coming from. As I said, there's technologies have downsides. Um, and so then if we zoom in a bit more to what, you know, what makes genetics challenging, it's really about the idea of transferring knowledge from one, uh, from one study or one instance to another. And that's all done through taxonomy and the study of uh, comparative genomics. And then if we zoom in more on comparative genomics, um, we have what's called a, a, a reference bias problem, where, for example, the human genome was constructed using, um, using largely European people, and it does not do well uh, in genetic analyses uh, on African people because the Africans' genomes are aligned to uh, a European genome, and the things that don't match up often get discarded in the analysis. So this reference bias problem is what we're trying to solve with graph genomes. And uh, we think it could be a really powerful tool so that you can go out and, and take many individuals of a species, sequence them, and get uh, a bias-free a global picture of the genetic diversity in that species. That's relevant for plant breeding, animal breeding, disease resistance, uh, viruses, all of it. 
So then that was, that was really the motivating goal for the Pantograph project. And then once COVID-19 uh, really came out and, and once, once I started taking it seriously, I realized, you know, we're studying sequence diversity within a species. And the sequence diversity of a virus is very important for two big reasons. One is uh, that the morbidity, uh, the, the mortality rate can change based on, um, uh, based on mutations. Uh, oftentimes it actually goes down. Uh, so for example, Ebola has become less, uh, has a lower mortality rate than it used to, um, but that can also make it more infectious. So it's a bit paradoxical. Right. Um, and the second thing has to do with resistance. So um, the genetic diversity of, for example, the common cold, if I can kind of uh, simplify things a bit, the genetic diversity is so high that it's not really possible to create a vaccine for the common cold because it's actually many different things. And even within those viruses, there's a great degree of genetic diversity. Um, what I got concerned about with uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is that the ability for a virus to mutate and evade something like a vaccine is proportional to its population size. So um, if you think about it like a deck of cards, uh, you know, SARS-2 gets a new deck of cards every time it infects a new, um, a new person. And so the odds of getting that sort of one in a million royal flush get uh, proportionately higher as more people get infected. So we know, for example, uh, seasonal flu influenza is an RNA virus, and it has a high enough mutation rate that we need to update the vaccine about once a year. Well, if that virus, or for example, SARS-2, infects 10 times more people, you're looking at a 10 times larger potential to evade the vaccine. And so that's really kind of what we're focusing on is this kind of mid game where we've contained with quarantine, we've developed a vaccine and the vaccine's being disseminated through the population. We're gonna monitor the genetic diversity across the whole planet and ask the question, is there any virus variants, little subpopulations, where they could be resistant to the vaccine uh, while the rest of the world is not? Because if that happened, then, and we, we didn't notice it, then what would basically happen is you'd have a selection sweep that would wipe out all of the non-resistant uh, variants and so only the resistant variants would be left, which could then spread through the population again. Um, and this actually applies to acquired immunity too. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an unlikely scenario, but when you're dealing with uh, something on a global scale, it, it makes sense in terms of the investment of resources to um, invest resources in covering that one in 10,000 chance that would be really costly if it ever cropped up. So we're not the most important thing going on right now, um, but we're covering one of these edge cases and I'm trusting other professionals to cover 
you know, to cover the areas that I don't understand, that I don't have the skills for. I don't know how to make masks or uh, or ventilators or any of these things. I know software. I know graph genomes. So I'm trying to put my skills uh, to to work to save as many people as possible. So when we talk about features of graph genomes, then since mm -hmm. it seems to be a, your wheelhouse, what are the aspects of graph genomes you think are for these scenarios for them to be useful and uh, provide the kinds of answers mm. that will lead to rapid action but appropriate action? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so graph genomes cover an area of sequence variation that other tools don't, which has to do with rearrangements. Um, so it looks like, uh, for example, the Thousand Genomes Project on humans, there's about as many uh, nucleotides that are affected by uh, what we call SNP mutations, single nucleotides, so single letter changes, as are affected by um, rearrangements or large-scale structural variation. Um, so one that I think people would recognize, which is easy to spot, is Down syndrome, is a duplication of an entire chromosome, which is a kind of an extreme example, but it's an example. Um, I think uh, variation, I mean, it's, we're all running on the same hardware, so it applies to everything from viruses to fungus to trees to people. Um, so pretty much anywhere where you would use genetic engineering, uh, I prefer people use graph genomes over uh, the older methods because, um, so I, I sort of look at it as we're developing the next generation of tools, the next generation of techniques uh, that, that cover these edge cases that have not been covered before. And what kind of people are you trying to get involved? Who do you feel like who is working with you now? Because you guys have some really great collaborators. I know in Computomics we're working with you, but there's also kind of a world global consortium and they're really amazing people. So what kind of people are all working together on this current project? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really amazing. We've got, we've got Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, North America. I'm not sure if we have anyone from South America at the moment, but that could change. Uh, I think it's, you know, um, something like 20 different countries within my own team. Um, and I don't, I have lost track of how many countries <laughs> in the, in the total biohackathon. Cause this is, this is a whole world event. This is in a large sense, the third, you know, full world event that we've ever had. Um, so it's, it's exciting to be part, uh, be surrounded by so many talented people. I'm mainly pulling in, uh, computer scientists. Uh, if people have wet lab experience, they should probably be, you know, testing people, developing reagents, things like that. For for us, you know, computer guys uh, and gals, we we uh, a lot of them don't necessarily have the biological background to understand the full picture. But with open source software collaboration, we can define uh, an issue, basically a single ticket that says. If you can make the program go from this state to this state, that will be a tangible improvement. And all that requires is software programming knowledge. It doesn't really require deep 
biological knowledge. And so I'm trying to give an opportunity for people who otherwise would feel kind of powerless, uh, just you know, sitting at their homes wondering if their loved ones are going to get sick. I'd prefer to be doing something, even if it's a small thing, having something to do that that could benefit, I think is is an improvement. Definitely. And would you say that it's there's still time for people to join? I know it's going on this week yeah. from until the 11th of April. So if we put this out, is it still possible for people to join you? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually planning on dedicating several months to this uh, just because I feel like that's a proportionate response. I've kind of rearranged part of my life to, um, uh, to, to really try and contribute positively to this. So I'm not planning on stopping, you know, we'll, we'll have an end of hackathon celebration, uh, but then I'll, I'll keep going after that. And I think there, that some of our team members are going to keep going. Um, it's really just a question of what people can, uh, you know, what people can volunteer. Uh, we're actively pursuing funding right now to be able to, uh, to pay our volunteers and to maybe grow this into a whole lab. Um, I think if you look at historically, you know, where we were spending our research money in 2019, um, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the world's economy was devoted to science. And now we're looking at, you know, $6 trillion impact for just the US alone, probably looking at maybe $20 trillion worldwide disruption. Um, with $20 trillion, we could have, you know, had cold fusion by now and immortality. So, uh, <laughs> so, so it's, it's like, you know, what, what is a bad uh, management of resources? It's saving a billion dollars on NIH funding in order yeah. to have a 1% risk of a, you know, a trillion dollar loss. Like that's just bad business, right? It's, it's bad logic. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I've been banging this drum for 10 years and, and, and people really need an example in their lifetime uh, to, to make it real. So, I mean, I, I could easily see uh, science funding being 10 times greater than, you know, globally than what it, what it was uh, last year, maybe in the next uh, three to four years, if, if there's a, you know, positive impact to this. And so I'd say, well, let's keep going. I mean, we were doing a good thing before and now it's just all that more, more important. So, yeah. Yeah. Give volunteered, uh, and we'll we'll see if we can scale this up. I, I yeah, <laughs> the future is really uncertain right now, but um, I I want to I want to be there when when the future happens. <laughs> when when the pendulum swings in the favor of science, that would be a great, uh, you know, that would be a great metaphor or outcome of this of this decade. You know. If, if 2020 mm -hmm. was the beginning of the pendulum going in the favor of science, then I think that would give me a, a little measure of uh, peace to go to sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's upsides and downsides to everything, but the way I see it is we've given a uh, business um, a lot of, a lot of resources and a lot of, I almost want to call it like democratic freedom, almost like a bill of rights sort of stuff. 
in order to be able to fully actualize what business is capable of. Um, and so we've, we've kind of reaped the benefits of big business. And, and there's you know, been this ongoing talk about, uh, uh, what is it called, um, uh, efficiency of scale and those sorts of things. Well, part of efficiency of scale is that uh, a, a virus which replicates exponentially can hit the entire world, right? That's, that, that kind of comes as a package deal. And so, you know, if, if the pendulum swings in favor of science, for example, you know, we might be a little bit more inefficient. We might be more navel gazing, I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are some downsides, but um, I know that the upsides can be absolutely immense. We can end world hunger, we can, you know, get all clean energy. Um, there's, there's a lot of good things that I think that uh, science, research, and engineering have to offer that have been blocked so far. Yeah. Well, uh, to kind of get you support, to get the ball rolling, just tell us quickly uh, how people can get involved. And you mentioned already what you're looking for mm -hmm. and sort of, um, you know, how do we, what is the call to action for for anyone interested. Yeah, so we have a website, graphgenome.org. So G-R-A-P-H-G-E-N-O-M-E.org. Um, and that's got the Pantograph website up there right now. Um, that kind of details what we're trying to accomplish with our browser. And uh, that also has a Get Involved section with a link to our Slack. Uh, we're using Slack as our central point of communication. And so you just go into Slack, introduce yourself, say, these are my skills, I wanna get involved. It could be, it could be you know, funding and grant writing, it could be management, it could be software, it could be an understanding, a deep understanding of the biology. And then we'll get you set up with one of our teams, um, get you on an issue that you can you know, add your brick to uh, the construction project. And, uh, and, and, and then basically all of those uh, communally get, get brought together into um, a project that's a lot more grand than what any person could accomplish by themselves. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much. Um, I really hope that people who maybe thought that their expertise wasn't necessarily relevant um, feel like they now have an avenue to make that experience incredibly relevant. Mm -hmm useful, long-term, actionable, all those things I think are socially empowering, mm -hmm. um, intellectually empowering, of course. So I am on a personal level, so impressed by you. I, I can see, um, yeah, why York suggested that we talk. You're amazing. What a wealth of information. I'm, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> well, and, we're not um, I really hope you be blushing. Um, I, I, I don't want to, yeah, it's, it's mostly been about just having a vision and putting, putting a team together. We've had a lot of really great contributions. That's a lot more than what I could do uh, on my own. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I thought two months ago, my skills were totally irrelevant to the situation. And so some of this has just been a change in mindset for me. And so I, I know whatever skills people have, there's a way that they can contribute. 
That's so great. That that really means a lot. So yeah, I really look forward to you guys recruiting more and doing more and moving forward with your vision. You seem to be incredibly on purpose. That's one of my favorite things is people who are doing what just seems what they're meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the more we have of that in the world, the better the world will be. The more people are on purpose, I think people can live with uh, incredible uh, satisfaction, gratitude, mission, vision. And yeah, so thank you so much, Asaya. And I really hope we get to talk again. And maybe I'll check in with you again. Maybe you can give me updates, um, whatever you have time for. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, this has been really great talking with you. Uh, thank you for uh, letting me uh, share my yeah. perspective. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Okay, bye. Good evening. So thanks everyone for listening to our second episode in our interview with Josiah. If you're interested in contributing, please go to graphgenome.org. You can also visit our website, computomics.com. Please subscribe to our podcast if you'd like to hear more and visit our website for blogs and updated information. Thanks so much.